0: Thank you to our sponsors for supporting this episode of Troxel, BQE Core, and Avail. We'll share more about them later on in the episode. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. This is the podcast where I have a conversation with guests from the architectural community and beyond to talk about the coevolution of architecture and technology. In this episode, I welcome Reed Sinescu. Reed is Doxel's head of product and leads the development of mission-critical software for capital-intensive construction projects. With a PhD in civil engineering from Stanford University and numerous product leadership positions in construction technology— Reed has a unique perspective on the industry and the development of new use cases for advanced technology in construction. In this episode, we discuss his path from structural engineer to VP of product at Doxel, how the company has pivoted away from needing to create their own hardware solutions in the last few years because of advancements in the camera sensor space to software, machine learning and computer vision, and how they use it to scan buildings in a fraction of the time than was previously required by a construction foreman how the BIM model plays a role in their service, who their current and potential future customers are, what kinds of gains could be expected in the construction space when using technology like Doxel, how Doxel is positioned to be known as the decision fabric of a construction project, how Doxel's products could play a role in providing a feedback loop for architects and other members of the design team who is currently seeing value in the reports created by Doxel software today, And for you project managers out there, we talk about lean construction, pull plans, Gantt charts, and all things project management, and so much more. So without further ado, I bring you Reed Sinescu. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here.
1: Hi, Evan. Great to be here.
0: So, Reed, you are, t- tell us your title and, and what you're doing with Doxel.
1: So, I am VP of product management uh, at Doxel. And Doxel is AI powered project controls for the construction industry. Uh, our mission is to, to be the decision fabric for the construction industry.
0: That sounds interesting. I've, I've been, I did have another guest on the show who's specifically looking at kind of using AI to model potential outcomes during construction and kind of choose correct critical paths and things like that. So that's pre-construction. I think what you're talking about here is, is during construction, a lot of the things that you're talking about, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we invest, you know, as architects, I was a a structural engineer earlier in my career. uh, As as construction planners, we invest so much in in the planning, the design, the budgeting of our construction projects. We invest a lot into building information modeling. And I I see Doxel as the construction information model. We're providing real-time objective data about what is going on on your construction project to ensure that you get the most out of all that planning that you did during during pre-construction, and your project goes as planned, as budgeted, and as designed?
0: Yeah, and and I think you know d- have have had other guests on the show as well who are doing similar things, but in a different way. And I I I've realized that you guys have pivoted more towards a software solution, and and I remember from early on. Doxel was a hardware solution, probably both hardware and software at that time. Could you kind of take us back, tell us how you got to where you are in Doxel and then maybe how Doxel has changed? And I know this is kind of like a, we're all living on the hockey stick graph, right? (laughs) We're living on this. Everything is changing so fast. And it's interesting to see the startups in particular that do go through changes and pivots in their early what looks like to the, to the general public as just like the, their early career, but give us, give us kind of that history and timeline of, of where you and Doxel have come from and, and where you are now.
1: Sure. Great. So I'll give you a long answer. Cause I'll, I'll tell you about my journey and I'll tell you how it intersects with, with Doxel's journey. I've been with Doxel, uh, since, since 2021, um, so so like I mentioned, I started as a structural engineer designing buildings for Arup in, in St- San Francisco, collaborated with all different typical parties on a, on a design and construction par- uh, project from from architects to construction managers to inspectors, et cetera, to facility owners our, our, our clients. And I had the opportunity early on at Arup uh, to collaborate closely with Autodesk uh, right when they acquired Revit. And launched, at least in in our office, our first full structural mechanical electrical plumbing building information model um, that was actually used for construction documentation on, on our project. Back then, it was funny. We actually charged our our general contractors for the model. I don't think that's done very frequently anymore. <laughs> um, but but it got me really excited about how technology could transform this industry and have have positive impacts. And so I've been managing, you know, since then I've been managing products in the construction tech space, and I've always been thinking about how we invest so much in 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 design, but. Then, when you go into construction, all cha- it seems like it's completely chaotic, right it's It's the wild West. And so for me, this is the end, or I shouldn't say the end, the continuation of a journey, starting with building information modeling and and now seeing how we can leverage all this data. Uh, during construction, to ensure that uh, we're we're delivering this value to our our clients that we're spending so much time planning for during the pre-construction phase. So so that's my journey on, on the Doxel side. Meanwhile, Doxel's been on a on a on a, a a slightly different journey that that intersected with mine. So Doxel started off uh, building a robot and and. And building a robot to scan construction sites. And the reason they did is because there wasn't really off the shelf technology at the time uh, to scan at the level of detail to measure the progress that was being made on a a construction site. And so they took technology, you know, from the self-driving car industry, uh, uh, LIDAR from that industry, and put it on a robot and drove it around construction sites. But... Quickly, Doxel realized that our real advantage was the software that we were building—the machine learning software—to do the image recognition, to measure and compare these Li- these lidar scans with the building information model. And the lidar, the off-the-shelf lidar, became quite um, prevalent in the industry, and so it was no longer necessary for us to build our own our own hardware. Um, so then what happened is uh, it was interesting because we spent a lot, we, we, we've scanned millions of square feet of commercial real estate for our facility owners using LiDAR. And we were then able to train um, a, a much more inexpensive 360 camera, much like a GoPro, um, with, that, with that ground truth that we had from our LiDAR. And right now most of our customers are actually just using an off-the-shelf 360 video camera. Um, that they just uh, put on their hard hat or walk around with a selfie stick, and we're able to get in some cases even better accuracy than we originally were able to do with with lidar.
0: And is that because of just the the mobility of a person versus? I I re- correct me if I'm wrong, but I do recall seeing images of like a a tread based robot, and I can imagine on a construction site if that was the case, there are limitations right to what you could get because of Stuff all over the floor. There's not necessarily a clear path. There's stairs. There's all these different constraints that you could potentially be working up against versus if it's somebody who's walking around, they can kind of navigate all that stuff automatically.
1: Yeah, they can do it uh, automatically, well, or yeah, at least right. uh, with with that thing we call under their
0: it. own power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's say it that way.
1: And uh, that old fashioned brain right. and uh and, and they can do it more quickly as, as, as well and and actually we find more, more inexpensively as well, right? So yeah, that's that's correct.
0: Okay. Yeah, interesting to think about. And so the the I I definitely want to talk about kind of the the shift to computer vision cameras like you said lidar i'm wondering now you're like like obviously these 360 cameras don't do lidar they're they're doing video right 360 video and how you guys are doing that but i also want to talk about like i guess we'll get there when we get there who's this for why why would they be interested in this and i know that's where the power of the software comes in so let's start with hardware and just bridge the gap for people so that because then i think that'll automatically transition us into the software side of things. So tell us more about like this hardware. I, I, you guys aren't making it, but you're, you're, you're using the output of these 360 cameras and then running it through some kind of a process.
1: Right. So, so it, it's really just, a, a, it's pretty simple. It's really just simple. It's a 360 camera. We we like recommending the Insta 360 X2 camera because it, it works in all kinds of weather conditions uh, and it has it has a five point seven k and four k resolution, and it's a, a three sixty video camera. And you just walk around the site. That that video feed gets uh, fed to our cloud, and then we perform image recognition and compare it to a building information model, and can measure quantities installed uh, for all visible traits.
0: That's awesome. So, you guys. It- and, and you guys, I, I was reading on one, of, on one of your pages, I think it was a blog post talking about this vSlam technology. Is that is it fair to say that that's computer vision type stuff where it's I know you're also doing comparison, but maybe give a little bit more of a technical breakdown of of how you, your software is doing what it's doing?
1: Right. So yeah, I'll take you through the steps. So yeah, like I said, first thing is 360 video. Um, and then, and then the next step is VSLAM, so locating where that camera was in real in space, right? So basically, the XYZ coordinates relative to a building information model. The next thing that we're doing, our image recognition is doing, is basically saying, okay, that's a pipe, that's a that's a duct, that's a column, that's a piece of drywall, that's a stud, etc. That's a conduit. Bas- basically recognizing um, all the different. Uh, images, and then tying it back spatially to what should be installed there in the building information model. And leveraging those two things together allow us to say not just, you know, that's a a pipe, but that is hot water pipe that is, you know, one inch in diameter and 20 feet of it has has been installed uh, in the building information model. There's a 100 feet of it. And so it's 20% complete. Then the the next thing that we do is we we do what we call rules of credit. So we'll also measure that, oh, this pipe should have insulation. Oh, it needs hangers or maybe it needs braces. And through uh, working with our clients over millions of square feet, we know what percentage of work is complete for all of those different steps of installing, for example, a pipe or a duct. And then we can actually tie that to a schedule that our clients have in, in Primavera and, and P6 and report accurately percent uh, complete in that schedule. Now, the, the final step is because we're doing this for all the visual trades, um, we can then run critical path analysis on that schedule and predict, for example, that, you know, the milestone of uh, putting up all the drywall is going to be 10 days de- delayed or 2 weeks ahead and report that milestone level forecast up to up to our clients
0: that's interesting so then are you actually able to kind of proactively obviously there's like working hours involved there's weather conditions there's all these things that are happening that are potentially in the control or beyond the control of the contractor performing the work or the subs performing the work and i assume that this is just always like a working document right like all of the 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 primavera scheduling you know there's obviously been a ton of planning that's gone into it ahead of time but then it's just constantly being updated and manipulated and adjusted as as the process goes through so are you actually able to make kind of predictive you you mentioned predictive stuff as far as scheduling but i guess more proactive like i don't know clippy for construction right clippy from the old microsoft word days was like it looks like you're writing a business letter and you know would you like some is there anything like that that you guys are doing for scheduling like if if you get this extra shift in you'll do it in this x amount of time versus y amount of time anything like that
1: Right. So let me tell you where we are right now and then where we're headed. So right now, you're right. It's very much like a working document, right, where we're scanning these sites twice a week. And so our our clients are getting these projections twice a week. And I, I think of it like a what if analysis. It's basically like if you continue at the same production rate that you're at with the same manpower that you're at, then this is when you're going to going to finish we're not quite at the point where we're recommending what to do if you're, if you're late. What we're doing is we're saying with the manpower you have, you will, and, and the production rates you have, this is where you'll end up. Now, most of our clients are getting, um, you know, w- without Doxel, they're getting these updates about once a month, and it's kind of too late to react. With us, they're getting these updates twice a week, and so they can be proactive, and when they see things starting to slip, they can make the call to try and get more resources to increase their production rate to try to unblock unblock whatever is is causing the delay and and take action on their own um, but definitely in the future you know we see a world where we can start to recommend what corrective action our, our customers should be taking
0: it's like auto suggest on your phone's keyboard <laughs> that's what yeah, exactly. for construction I think that's the f-
1: I think that's the future. Absolutely. Interesting.
0: And so you, you mentioned your clients and I think I know who your clients are, but I would like you to kind of define, and maybe it's beyond one category. just, just give us an idea of who, who you guys are is your primary client and then maybe some other potential clients that you would see in this useful using this. Yeah. It's
1: interesting because this has also been a journey for us. So traditionally Doxel has, has sold to facility owners of, uh, very complex projects, uh, Oil and gas, really complex architectural museums, data centers, healthcare. Um, those are, those have been our sweet spots of, of 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 customers. Increasingly, we're selling to general contractors, and this year, for example, uh, our our biggest growth has been uh, with general contractors. And when we're selling to general contractors, we're seeing that they're choosing to use us on all different types of projects. What what I would call a little bit simpler projects: schools, office buildings. Um, municipal buildings and and I mean that that's been a really interesting trend and one of the reasons that we're seeing this uptick with general contractors is that we've really been focused more this year on tools and collab- simple collaboration tools for for the field for superintendents to visually coordinate their work with with the trades with the foreman and y- use the data in the field and, and not just in the office.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking from the owner's perspective, knowing whether the people they've hired to do the job are on time and on budget would be valuable to them, especially if you're talking about like a serial builder. I could imagine like in the healthcare space, I I think I saw a Kaiser Permanente logo on your website, right? And they're building MOBs, they're building hospitals and being able to compare and use historical data and do this over time. You know, If they're going to build a hundred medical office buildings in the next 15 years or whatever, you could see them wanting to kind of establish baselines for what certain trades take as far as time to do certain things. And I guess you could divide that up by regions There seems to be a lot of applications on the owner's side as well, just to be in the know.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's good for owners um, to be able to communicate with the, uh, in the same visual communication that contractors are using and not have to like sift through Gantt charts to understand whether their projects are on time or on budget. And also to have that objective ground truth reality of, of that, that they get every, t- every t- twice a week, you know, as to whether their projects are on time and on budget. Uh, we also see, you know, with general contractors that general contractors are able and they've told us this they're able to coordinate their trades more effectively because they have the the visual ground truth of where they are at the moment so they don't have to spend any time like discussing with their trades where they are and that helps them manage and coordinate with their trades more effectively and can even mean that the trades on the next project are going to are, are going to bid lower to the general contractors because they know that the, the project's going to be well-managed because the, the general contractor is using Doxel.
0: That's interesting to think of it from that perspective. I didn't think about that at all, but it does seem like there's a lot of benefits in it for contractors. And And so as far as adoption of this technology goes, I mean, you guys probably had an idea of what that would be like, but what's the reality of adoption in this space? The
1: so So one thing that surprised me was how quickly foremen uh, of subcontractors would get excited about it. I, I wasn't really anticipating that. W- one of the things we did, uh, started doing towards the end of last year, is making it really easy for superintendents to share PDFs, just plain old PDFs with, with foremen, that just were, were basically color-coded blueprints as to what was installed and what wasn't installed across all the different trades. And when we when that started happening, we actually got pull from the subcontractors to the superintendent saying, hey, like if the superintendent was kind of like a little late sending out those reports on a weekly basis to the to the foreman, the foreman were actually kind of reminding the superintendent, hey, you forgot to send that out. Like we really are using that report to plan next week's work. So it's been pretty interesting to see how there's been not just, you know top-down adoption from 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 the facility owners but also bottom-up uh pull from from subcontractors
0: yeah like kind of a grassroots uh, (laughs) effort like the people who actually do the work are finding the usefulness of it and so they're requesting it more and more yeah interesting so so when it comes to uh, the the kind of I don't know what, what to call it. You're, you're, it. this this frequency that you guys have established, this twice a week thing, and then people from the bottom, the grassroots are demanding it. Did this kind of gamify the space in some kind of a way to to like there's obviously extra accountability involved now, right? Because it's like it's like you said, it's more of a real time ish, you know, at least twice a week account of what's going on. Did that have you guys seen improvements in performance or is it is it more like that that wasn't a necessary necessary outcome of this?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to think about the gamification part of it. We haven't really explored that yet. Um, We've we've seen improvements from the client side where our clients are telling us that they are able to forecast their projects from a budget perspective, especially uh, more accurately based on based on the data that, that we've been providing, it's still a little early, I think for us, uh, like in terms of the working with subcontractors and, and superintendents to to understand um, uh, whether there's a kind of a gamification sort of thing going on. It, it's more just about that we get feedback that it's making it a lot easier for them to collaborate and it's saving them time. So for example, one of our superintendents, told us that it used to take him four hours a week just to measure and report out on progress. And now it's taking him 10 minutes a week. So there's definite time savings.
0: Yeah, time is money in in this business. So let's talk about feedback loops. I mean, what I'm interested is, you said you come from the design team, right? You were a structural engineer and I'm an architect. And I'm wondering how this, what you're learning by this, technology implementation on the construction site is informing back to design teams, if anything, like, or what's possible? What are you guys thinking in that realm? Because I think that could be super interesting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think what we've never really had before is, is benchmarks, really objective benchmarks for production rates and understanding how complexity kind of impacts productivity. Uh and one thing that we've invented here is something we call the construction encyclopedia. And basically what the construction encyclopedia is, is it's like how everything gets assembled. It's it's basically you know the the stages of installing uh a duct, right? And First put in the hangers, in the sequencing, that, right? those
0: are like intertwined at the DNA level now, what you're talking about, because that. That's some, you know, architects cannot prescribe means and methods, but we do think about sequencing when we're designing something and how something's going to be put together so that you can then cover it up with this or interact with this other material in the assembly or whatever those things are, but we don't get to prescribe any of that. But now it sounds like you guys are actually getting to the nuts and bolts of what happens when and with whom so that some, the next thing can happen. And that seems like that could start to become an algorithm in itself.
1: Right, exactly. And then, you know, what what the typical production rates are for installing and and how um, maybe, you know, different sequences could result in different production rates. So I think all of that is is in 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 the future and and work that, you know, a lot of our clients are starting to ask us about, um, you know, in terms of getting getting the data so they can start to look across all their projects uh, and, and understand you know, what, what the typical production rates should be. And, you know, in in some cases, use that to better inform how they're planning their, their next projects and budgeting for their next projects.
0: And it seems like you guys are in an ideal spot to be able to look at the whole landscape of what's going, because one team is going to do it slightly differently than the next team. And like you said, you could maybe do compare and contrast of different sequencing or number of people based on the job size. like it seems like you could get into this kind of recommendation engine, Netflix style game of giving people options that they could then choose, which then changes the outcome on the fly, but but gives lessons learned from everywhere that this is happening. I mean that that's why I think you guys are kind of in that ideal spot to do that because somebody who's building a library could potentially learn from a Kaiser, permanente right for what because the, cons- the parts are this similar well, let's not say they're the same but there's a lot of the same parts that are shared between different building types but there might be ways to unlock embedded knowledge in the trades and in the contractor side of things to inform design earlier on but also share that information with other contractors who could maybe improve their performance on a project
1: sure i mean that that's possible i mean we're, we're quite conscious of, of the fact that a lot of these things are the proprietary data of our, our clients. Right. And, you know, I think our clients that see the value here are doing enough projects and enough, you know, billions of dollars of construction where they can just leverage the findings within, within their own, within their own companies. And, you know, we're, we're sensitive to not, not sharing that, that proprietary data with, with, you know, across, across different companies that said, you know, for example, general contractors are frequently involved in the pre-construction phase, right? And so if you have a large general contractor that is working with the designers during, during pre-construction, they can now leverage all this, all the, all the billions of dollars of construction that they've done historically to help, help that architect that they're working for, you know, plan a building that's going to be more easily constructed, constructible.
0: Yeah. It also seems like, you know, if it is a large general contractor who hires a lot of subs and maybe they even work in a lot of different regions, that they could learn a lot from seeing the outcome of all those different processes and start to identify who the A-teams are, in what locations. And I mean, it seems like there's a lot of insight that could be gained from this kind of information over time, even if they're not sharing it between contractors. Like you said, I, when you said construction encyclopedia, I'm thinking like the global construction encyclopedia, but I th- maybe it's a company-wide en- construction encyclopedia.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's absolutely the case, right? And it, it's kind of to help level the play, playing team. I mean, I, I hear that from our clients a lot, the A-team and the B-team, et cetera. Um, and and I think that there's a lot of opportunity <laughs> I mean, this sounds funny, but but to make everybody the A team, right but by, by sharing that data, like if you're to really understand what what makes the B team the B team and and what makes the A team the A team, and then share all those lessons learned from the A team with the B team so that everybody's raising raising the bar in terms of performance.
0: Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. In this podcast, I talk a lot about all the realities with my guests, you know, mixed reality, augmented reality, virtual reality, all the realities. And I've got a new message for you from my friends at Avail. Let's talk about the new reality, which is that content, as I've talked about in the previous message from them, both wants and needs to live everywhere. Long gone are the days of saving files to your local hard drive or to a single on premises server. In order to solve remote collaboration, information has moved to the edge. The cloud is king, and the number of cloud services out there dictate that the number of storage locations will continue to grow dramatically. Where do you store your files? BIM 360, OneDrive, SharePoint, Box, Dropbox, AWS, Azure. Chances are you probably save them in some weird combination of those that I just mentioned and more. Well, here's the point of this message. Avail hides the complexity of where content and information resides. What file to use used to be your biggest concern. Now, it's where do all those files live? Avail takes where out of the equation, which means that with Avail, you can actually find your mission-critical and not-so-critical files, too, right when you need them. Avail helps get you the information you need faster. Go to GetAvail.com today to learn more. Systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures. But you struggle with choosing the systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by an acclaimed architect and business consultant, Douglas Teeger, FAIA, to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Teeger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at BQE.com/slash masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA Continuing Education Credit, and when you visit BQE.com/slash masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free and is brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com/masterclass. That's bqe.com slash masterclass. And now let's get back to our conversation. I mean, when we think of, of the software side of things and the customers that you guys have, can you give an idea of what they're actually going through when they're, give, a, give us kind of a day in the life of using Doxel software on the project? What, what does it look like? What does it feel like? How is it empowering in different ways?
1: Sure. Um, No, that's a great question. You know, I think I'll start because I think there's sometimes a misconception that there's like a lot of a setup and everything. And one of the interesting things about what we've spent a lot of time on is making it really, really simple at the beginning of the project. So, you know, if we had a million square foot project that signed up today, we could have them going in one to two weeks. Um, there's not that much setup and, and one, one of the thing, and we do that all on our own without basically with almost zero involvement. They just need to send us the the schedule and the building information model and, and we can do the rest. Um, now, once you get started, some of our, our customers are using our own professional services to do scanning. Uh, some of our, our customers are, are scanning themselves. And so, uh, twice a week they would, um, uh, either put the, the camera onto their hard hat or, or walk around with a, a selfie. And, and basically, they just need to walk around the site like they would normally walk, recording the site anywhere that they want to track progress, um, anywhere where progress has occurred um, since the last time they scanned. And uh, that, that video feed then gets uploaded uh, to, to our cloud via a mobile app. And, and then um, we start processing it. Uh, on the on the back end and and our processing d- d- depending on who we're working with it takes between 24 and 72 hours we can always do do faster if there's a request for for a faster turnaround time and what the customer then gets is one one tool which we call SiteWalk, where they basically will, will get the scans in, in our web app um, they can walk around the building see the 360 video, compare it side by side with the building information model so they can see what's actually installed and compare it to what was designed to be installed. And then also they'll get a dashboard that shows all the most important milestones and whether those milestones are are tracking delayed or ahead of schedule. And then they can drill down and and better understand which are the activities that are contributing to those delays in their master schedule, and then drill down further and actually look at the 360 photos um, that contribute to those activities. So they can kind of look at... uh, go all the way to the top level milestone all the way down to a photo that is you know perhaps the photo that's showing why we're we're predicting that milestone to be delayed
0: interesting so i I was thinking about this when i was reading that blog post you guys actually made a really interesting um, comparison between i guess it's probably apple's or google's ar kit and the 360 video in that you know with ar kit to differentiate what you're doing with augmented reality it's ar kit is looking at one image in objects in context to each other right but with the video because you're capturing a full 360 pano 30 frames per second or whatever as the person walks the site, you're getting a lot more of the context in there and what i'm wondering is then when it's processing that information i'm kind of a little bit off topic from what you just what you just did but we'll get back to it is you're then are you building a photogrammetry model based on that and then comparing that to the bim
1: yes right because we can take the different frames and combine it with the v-slam so we know where those different frames are and then we can figure out spatially basically reconstruct a a 3d 3d photogrammetry model of 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 the site from a photo perspective and 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 then compare it to the building information model and then
0: to identify objects in that is that is that another computer vision model is that just like through comparison to the bim to say okay this geometry equals that object in space or combination of all that
1: it's really a combination right so it's it's a it's a, a... a a geometric combination where it's like, okay, this is in the particular location. So it's likely to be this object, but then also does it look like that object? Uh, And, you know, it, it's quite resilient to things being uh, because it's the combination of both. It's quite resilient to being, to, to objects being placed uh, like in the wrong spot. But but you know occasionally if something's put completely in the wrong spot then there's you know a, a, a little there's human intervention and human in the loop to just kind of flag flag that something was placed in the completely in the wrong spot but it wasn't installed yeah
0: yeah because I th- I think about like LOD and and what you guys are looking for versus what people model some people over model some people under model some people include certain elements some people disclude certain elements like definitely had like structural engineer to point fingers right at you read um, where like the big the knife plates aren't on the brace frames in the model right and and then it's like you get out to the site and the knife plates are covering the entire window clear story that's running behind the brace or something like that. And it's like where'd that thing come from? It was never in the model but it seems like you guys are kind of trying to walk the balance between LOD and reality of of comparing these two things.
1: Right, right. I mean, it doesn't, yeah, we, it doesn't have to be that the model doesn't have to be that detailed for us to add value and create those sort of predictions that I've been describing. You know, when we start getting into uh, deviations, right, when things are being out of tolerance, then we can only, you know, say that something's out of tolerance if it's modeled. But in terms of the higher level predictions of, of, of tying work in place back to a, a schedule, the there's quite a lot of flexibility in terms of how how detailed the model is.
0: Interesting. So what do you, what happens when something shows up in the actual built environment that is not in the model? Is it just a flag to say, Hey, here's this thing you should be aware of. And, and then the human intervenes and says, yep, that's supposed to be there. Or what, what is this? We need to have a, a big conversation.
1: Well, it depends. Um, The the answer depends. So, I mean, our construction encyclopedia knows that certain things are associated. So if, for example, there's not hangers in the model, that's, you know, we know that. Like, we know that ducks generally have hangers. Um, We know that pipes have braces, even if the braces aren't modeled. Let's see. I'm not sure this has ever happened. But if there's like a, a steel column that's there that wasn't in the model, you know, that would create some flags, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Okay. So I I do want to get back to the other part, like just thinking about the user experience. And so it sounds like you guys are doing reporting for the most part, right? You're not, it's not, you tell me, is it something that the, the contractor or the client, your customer can interact with to make changes within your software? Is it just reporting and they're able to drill down as far as they want to, to eventually get to that one photograph that is that is making you know the, re- the the flag pop up or the reason pop up for alarm or whatever that might be. C-
1: correct, right? It's 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 dashboards and three sixty video and walking around in BIM uh, and um, B- uh, color coded you know install status for for different uh, BIM components uh, all in our web app.
0: It's not like a bi-directional data exchange that's going on between your report and the scheduling software. It's one way. it's one way. So
1: that's happening in the background. so so for example, uh, sometimes there are activities in in a p six that are invisible, like um, staging staging certain equipment or doing pressure tests and ducks, which you know, just because it's invisible, we can't we can't see it right with the three sixty video. And so we will integrate with um, with P six uh, for those invisible activities, and then uh, get that data into our system. And what percent complete those invisible activities are, so that we can forecast uh, of milestones in case any of those invisible activities are on the critical path.
0: And what about like laydown areas and equipment and. Like formwork and like those are kind of in this invisible category as well because they're obviously you necessary to do the installations. But how does your software does it remove that stuff through like comparative to the last model and see like what's moving through the site also or how how does that work?
1: Well, that's a good question. So I think we're starting to do some of uh, that as well to infer what what needs to be laid down um, and what's expected and. I'm not sure I'd have to check with our machine learning engineers, how much of that we're taking into account right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just thinking about the construction process is there, there's all kinds of jigs and tools and things that we use that won't be there in the end, but also you don't want it to bring up any red flags because yeah, everybody knows that's supposed to be there. That lift has to be there, right. To install the drywall or the ceiling or whatever, but it's not part right. of the construction report.
1: Right exactly like th- you know things like and then then also you know things like for, formwork and um you know the the other call it, pieces of construction equipment can be good leading indicators for whether something's going to be installed on time or, or 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 not and so i think you know that's another area where we can um, get even better in the future in, in terms of predictions
0: so where where do you see this this going from here i mean it's it's like you guys did pivot from hardware plus software to mostly software with partnerships with certain maybe not even partnerships i don't know but like you guys are working with other pieces of the puzzle they're they're the ones supplying the the technology from a hardware standpoint the so you guys have apps to communicate to your cloud you've got your reporting stuff you've got all that where's Doxel going or what are you interested in in the future
1: well, well, you you at the beginning you you named one of those things, which is recommending. And what I see is is there's actually quite a disconnect in the construction industry today between those master schedule Gantt charts and P six, and how superintendents and foremen are actually working on a week by week basis via pull plans and lean construction methods to actually get the work done in the field. And so where we're headed is to become that decision fabric for the the superintendents and the foreman as well, so they can better understand what production rates to expect and to give them tools uh to plan in that I'll call it like more informal way next week's work and and plan in a in a visual way rather than just like in a list uh in Excel of what they're gonna install next week or you know by simply marking up Plans, you know, with actual, you know, paper plans and and also just using post-it notes. Right. So I really see us becoming that decision fabric for the week by week planning between and and collaboration between uh, superintendents and foremen. And that's going to bubble up to result in projects being more on time and on budget, because now that informal planning that's happening on a week by week basis is is connected to that overall plan um for major for major milestones
0: can you convert that idea into dollars as far as like the time savings the the more efficient the more productive like what are you guys seeing in the delta from maybe what is expected based on how things have always been to what is the new expectation with like this?
1: Yeah, let, let me answer with an example on a data center. I mean, we projected a, a data center was going to be delayed about three months earlier with our system um, than, than the kind of standard system that they were using previously. And for that data center, I believe every day it was delayed. It was costing the the tech company that was building it about a hundred, like over a hundred thousand dollars. So, and I think that that data center was about a month late. So that's kind of how we think about this. Is like, you know, for every day that your project is late, that is X amount of dollars.
0: It's a lot of it's a and, lot of the, yeah. yeah
1: a lot of yeah. and, and and if it's a school, <laughs> if it's a school, then you know it's it's your kids not getting in on time to learn you know in in the fall, right, so that has a tremendous amount of value to uh society if we're delivering our projects on time and and on budget,
0: yeah, yeah, I can imagine like the, the graphs of of i I've seen some obscene numbers of how many projects are over budget and over time. and it's it it was something like eighty percent are over the schedule and over the budget, which just sounds incredible to me. But but maybe that is the reality, and and so anything off of that will be will be better.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I've seen a, a stat by Dodge Analytics and, and Autodesk that says uh, about seventy percent of projects are over budget and and delivered late, and you know, fifty seven percent of project spend is is lost to waste. So. You know, we're we're big fans of of lean construction here at Doxel and and we see we see AI and lean construction um working hand in hand to eliminate that waste.
0: Yeah, interesting. I, I could definitely see other kind of video game ish tie-ins with what you're doing because of the kind of real-time modeling that you're doing based on photogrammetry and giving an owner an interface to see and understand what they're looking at and you know I just did a deep dive last week just going into the new Unreal 5 release and just seeing you know the amount of geometry that it can hold and just thinking about it from an owner's perspective somebody who doesn't use this technology every day who doesn't understand plans and sections and elevations and like just how do we communicate with those people who hire us to do the thing and it seems like there would be some interesting ways for you guys to potentially be able to help a contractor or help an architect or help anybody in that process communicate to that end user. I mean, real-time is is the, is the key word that keeps popping up in this conversation, right? And it's like taking that to the next level of visual communication. It's like, I don't want to look at this color-coded model next to... BIM model because I don't understand either one of those from an owner standpoint if you depending on the level of sophistication but if you throw it in a real-time rendering application and that's texture mapped based on the photogrammetry model and they're three states away but they have an investment in this project it seems like there's interesting ways that these technologies can communicate what's actually happening but also quantify what's happening so you then like you're you're talking about the kind of information that they can understand, and it would be really useful to them in the end.
1: Absolutely, you know, we we spend a lot of time with our users running running prototype designs by them, and and doing a lot of user research both on the owner side and and um, with the superintendents and foremen in the field. And the the most com- when we show them our designs, the most common reaction is they say. This is like minority report. They're like they're like envisioning they, they think it's this like crazy future world and they keep asking Can you guys really do that? Can you you know like there's almost disbelief in the, the sort of visualizations that were were creating and they, they think of it as coming from sort of some futuristic Star Wars hologram place, but it's actually just BIM plus 360 video overlaid with data at their fingertips and and that just transforms how they can all collaborate and communicate with each other
0: that's that's awesome i it's it's the my favorite part of the design process is not the design process it's the construction process it's like walking onto the project site and seeing it in real life like the the ideas have been translated and to reality and i can imagine like that feeling that i get could be 10x for somebody who doesn't do it all the time right like an owner or somebody like it just seems like you guys have this ability with the tech that you're using and that you're building to bring those feelings to more people which is a good thing i think it like gets people excited about that construction process who maybe can't go visit the site all the time and um be a part of it in the hands-on kind of way, but more from just an observer kind of way and just get really excited about sharing that with more people. And I think that you know a lot of architects focus on the end, the final photography, like this is the final project, look how happy everybody is with it. But I think by sharing this process, while it's happening, there's a huge potential for the building industry to unlock some of the value that kind of gets covered up or hidden just by those final photographs. Like there is so much that goes into these buildings that is inside the walls, that is pre-planned, that is under the ground. You know, the foundation is never going to get seen, but it seems like with, with things like this, we, as an architect thinking about how this could apply to me, um, I, I could see that like being able to share that with my client could be huge value and share that with other people that are outside of the client sphere through the process. It's just like, there is this amazing stream of data that doesn't have as many eyeballs on it as it potentially could. And I could see that being hugely beneficial to the the whole industry.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you touched on so many things that I want to expand on. Do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, the, the first is really thinking about it, you know, from the whole life cycle of the, of the building, right? And I mean, you know, our, our clients, our, our facility owner clients get really excited because now they have. Three hundred and sixty photos of their entire site twice a week for the Through whole the history whole of construction. Yeah, I right? can
0: imagine the time lapse, like the the fully immersive time lapse that could happen, could just be incredible.
1: Right, and they don't need to look. You know, when they, they don't need they don't need to have their they don't need to point their facility managers to as-built two D drawings that then the facility managers have to, you know, interpret and in wonder, is this really accurate? What's really behind the walls? They can just go look into the photos and, and see, you know? Um, So I think that that um, really provides tremendous value throughout the, throughout the life cycle of the facility. The, the other thing you said, which I thought was really interesting is, is kind of you as an architect going and liking things, liking to see things get built in the field. And I was the same way as a structural engineer. Like when, when I spent all this time designing, you know, this, this connection and I spoke with the, 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 the contractors and and the manufacturers and made sure that this was going to be buildable and that it was going to be beautiful and architectural and talked with the, the architects about that. And, you know, I had spent all this time doing it. and then you go in the field and if it, it fits all right, and it's, it's rare and everything I can't goes it. according to plan. <laughs> it's like, it's this tremendous feeling. But then I've also gone to a site where, you know, I spent all this time working on the detailing of some openings and a big concrete wall and I get to site and the openings are completely in the wrong place.
0: Super disappointing. And,
1: yeah. Yeah. And it's just super, it's like, it's just crushing. Right. right. It's like super disappointing. What and so
0: is this? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I've been there too. So,
1: so and it, and it always felt like a surprise. Like every time I went, I was like, every time I would, you know, go drive to the site, I was always nervous. Like, is this, is this going to be good or bad? Right. And, and so I think, you know, a doxel we want to create that feeling of everything going according to plan. Right. Like, you invested in your schedule. You invested in your design. You invested in your budget. And we want to give everybody on that construction project from a foreman to an architect to the owner representative kind of that feeling at the end of the day that everything went according to plan. And that's a great feeling, right? That's the feeling why we're all here because we like building things. We like being in the real world, you know?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Do you guys actually have... Uh people on the design team reviewing these reports and information as well? Or is it mainly kind of kept in the construction silo right now?
1: That's a good question. I don't, I I actually don't know the answer to that. I I I just think of, I don't have a lot of visibility in terms of who the facility owner is sharing with. I know we have a lot of project executives um, who are architects by trade representing the owner, looking, looking at our, our reports, whether the architect uh is actually looking at them I'm not, I'm not sure
0: i just think of the whole concept of construction observation during construction administration uh in that phase of the project right and and how useful this could potentially be for them as well right yeah if, if that sharing absolutely yeah.
1: you know i'm saying i don't know but I, I i'd actually be a little surprised if if that wasn't the case because it's just so convenient for um for, for everybody on the team to to just do something simple, like visit the site remotely and see what happened, what got installed, so they don't have to drive out there. You
0: know, and, especially it, and it just in, gives yeah. everybody the opportunity to be so much more proactive in that regard of of questions and answers, and you know, it's like RFIs in a in a new way, right? Where it's 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 a model, it's right there, and you're comparing it on your desktop in your office to what's going on, and you can look at the fo- photography at the same time and and look at all that and raise a red flag to the owner or. Just be be way more proactive about finding a solution because I find a lot of times construction process is just you're, you're still coming up with solutions all the time. You're still designing stuff all the time until it's totally done.
1: Right. That's true. Actually, I actually forgot about that use case. I mean, it, it's pretty common for these uh, these 360 photos to end up in RFIs. And so I'm sure eventually those are going to the architect. <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to sell that as that, uh, you know... Uh, nobody looks likes looking
0: at RFIs. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, there's, there are companies who do like project information management where talk to them about the ability to use AI to automatically route the RFI to the right person based on what's going on. Maybe it's language in the RFI, maybe it's photography in the RFI, uh, these things that you're talking about being able to classify objects based on images and colorize them so that it shows, you know, portrays some kind of information that needs to be conveyed, not portrayed, conveyed to, to the, the person it's ending up with. It seems like there's opportunities to start to converge these different things together to, you know, like if it's a structural thing, we're automatically routed to the structural engineer, right? Like there does seem to be a lot of potential in, in this kind of computer vision translation system
1: yeah I see that makes me think of something else, Evan, which is what we're really good with in terms of RFIs <laughs> is, is is prioritizing and prioritizing the importance of the RFIs and getting them to the designers faster. So in the um, when, when I was a structural engineer and I was responding to RFIs, it always felt like the contractor could have told me that the RFI like could have told me weeks ago that this was a problem and and but now some trade you know the plumbing trade was coming in tomorrow they wanted to or the or the fin- or the, the dry the, the drywall guys were coming in tomorrow and now they needed they always needed the rfi yesterday they needed the response yesterday and and so what we are able to do with our what we call our quality product is flag when things are installed out of tolerance early and then do what we call future clash detection. So this is clash detection in the field. Okay, so this pipe is installed maybe six inches out of tolerance. Is it going to clash with something that's coming in, you know, maybe two or three weeks later? If it's not going to clash with anything in the future, then maybe it's not not a big deal. But, you know, whereas before you might not find out about that clash until the next trade comes in and, you know, then suddenly it's on the critical path and you need to figure out how to resolve it right away. Um, we can give this predictive clash detection earlier, which, you know, makes it so that there's a little less pressure on the designers to respond to that. Well, ROI you don't have from to a do time perspective. You
0: don't have to potentially undo three trades of work. <laughs> right, right. Because right. it was a week late. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's fascinating to think about future clash detection. Like this really is minority report, right? That's what the, yeah, like, the totally. pre-cogs were doing. Their future <laughs> crime.
1: <laughs> right, right. It's a future clash detection. Future <laughs> crime.
0: <laughs> well, reed This has been a really intriguing conversation. It sounds like what you guys are doing is is um, super useful, and I would encourage everyone to go visit the links that I'll put in the show notes to the Doxel website and anything else that you want to recommend to them right now, where they can learn more or follow along with what you guys are doing at Doxel.
1: Yeah, Doxel AI. Doxel AI. We've. We have tons of additional information there, some case studies, et cetera.
0: Should be easy because Goxel rhymes with Troxel. And that's the name of the show. Yeah, that's okay. right. It's,
1: it's a good so, way to end. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, thanks, Reed. This has been fantastic.
1: But great, Evan. I've enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Thank you to Avail for their support of this podcast episode. Visit getavail.com to see their holistic approach to content management today. Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE Core, for their support of this podcast episode. Visit bqe.com slash masterclass to register for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out. And of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you. So leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E Troxel. Talk to you soon.